Hello and welcome back to Coin Scrum Markets. I am thrilled to be joined today by Peter Woodard, Head of Institutional Growth at Alpaca Finance. Hi Pete, thanks for joining hey, us. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So um, we've not covered DeFi for a little while, so uh, really pleased to have you on. Um, obviously it's been a hot topic over the last 18 months. Anyone with half an eye on this space um, kind of uh, miss what's been going on. Big numbers being banded about, uh, huge amounts of value being locked up in smart contracts in the DeFi ecosystem. Um, and we've seen an explosion, especially around yield generating opportunities, which you know is attracting lots of attention, especially in the current economic uh, environment where generating yield anywhere is very difficult and some of the returns that are, are available in these DeFi markets are, are quite enticing, let us say. Um, yeah. So we're here to talk obviously about Alpaca Finance, um, the company uh, that you're working with and represent um, about, you know, I guess taking the idea of yield farming a step further um, and uh, your, your, your product offers leveraged yield farming, which we'll come on to in, in more detail. But maybe some, for some of our audience that are less familiar with this whole space, they've heard some of these terms bandied around. Can you just first give a brief overview of what yield farming is and maybe how that actually compares in kind of bread and butter terms with traditional markets? What's actually happening under the hood? Sure. Yeah. So, um, you, know, you know, yield farming is a, I call it a, a DeFi concept or tool that um, people use to, to generate yield on assets that they hold. Meaning, you know, if you're looking at decentralized exchanges, um, you know, I can take two asset types. So there'll be two pairs, let's say ETH and USDC as an example. And if I have those two assets, I provide it to a DEX and I receive um, a yield from, from trading fees. In DeFi's um, context as well, often uh, DEXs or platforms or protocols will give also um, a return in their native token as well. So um, if you have these assets, and I'll talk a bit more about kind of what we do at Alpaca, but you know, if you have these two assets um, sitting, let's say, in your wallet, you can provide those assets and generate yield against them. And, and that's sort of the, in very much broad strokes, um, yield farming as a as a concept so that goes right across the risk spectrum and we won't really touch on impermanent loss and all those fun concepts but you know there's um, more safe yield farming which is a lot what you know the firms that we speak to and work with they look at stablecoin farming uh, because the the risk um, is is very very low um, but there are people way up the spectrum that have um, you know smaller cap tokens that provide much higher yielding opportunities mm -hmm. and, look, and, and kind of these new terms have been invented but in essence you know decentralized finance i guess um in general is um you know the th in theory anyway that um a lot of pre-existing centralized functions in financial markets are now being programmed into smart contracts um where you might have been dealing with centralized counterparties you know a lot of those functions have now been encoded and, and you're relying on code to execute those functions that previously would have been, you know, might have had a, a, a human risk manager in the middle somewhere. Um, and if people have got their cash sitting in a bank account, that bank is doing something and, and, and paying them some kind of very low return or rate of interest, you know, that, that yield is coming from the bank, um, basically monetizing those assets by loaning them out or, or putting some other use. So in essence, we're just doing those same things, but it's all in a programmatic way. And it's a much more democratic way as well because you can have literally two dollars and well we'll come on to that maybe two dollars might be a bit low just because of network fees but in theory 
you know, any individual can come and lend, loan any of their assets and be on level pegging in theory again with someone that's got 10 million bucks of assets. Yeah, the, the whole sort of, uh, it's permissionless, right? So mm -hmm. anyone in its current state and form can participate and receive yield, which I think is the, the incredible thing about DeFi in its current form is that, you know, if you have internet connection, mobile phone or computer, you can get the wallet, you get the assets and you can participate in, in a financial system that you know, would normally not be open to you. Because we're talking centralized you know, normal exchanges, you know, you'd have to be an institutional market maker, for example, to, you know, have assets and put those to work. Or in this case, anyone with, you know, uh, even, you know, smaller amounts can actually participate in, in this ecosystem in, yeah. in various different ways, right? And yield farming is just sort of, you know, the, the one that, that we focus on. Yeah, yeah. So if we, and if, again, if we take that step further, you know, if we look at the um, centralized exchange model within crypto, you know, that's evolving now because of demand. Institutional actors are coming in and really that model is missing a lot of what's in place in terms of infrastructure in traditional markets. We have these very centralized exchanges. Um, this creates a lot of inefficiencies for traders because it's very capital intensive. They might need capital split across multiple venues. There's no kind of central clearing where they can, um, or prime brokerage where they can like uh, make their capital go further through um, credit lines, et cetera. We're starting to see those emerge in, um, even in the crypto markets for centralized exchanges. So let's go on to Alpaca. I mean, you're bringing in the idea of, and, and with DeFi, you do also have a lot of these capital inefficiencies. All of your capital is locked up in one place. Um, yep. So let's talk more about um, Alpaca uh, specifically. Tell us more about what it is you're developing and how you're bringing in the principles of leverage into yield farming. Yeah, sure. So um, as, as mentioned, so we, we focus on, on leverage yield farming. Um, we have circa about $1.5 billion in assets, um, you know, 40,000 users, 11,000 farming positions across the risk spectrum. Um, and users don't need to take leverage from us. And, and maybe what I'll do is I'll, I'll kind of clarify, you know, what is leverage yield farming? So, you know, the, the concept behind leverage yield farming is, isn't that complicated if you understand like the, the yield farming. Um, it simply is that if you're getting, let's say X returns from, you know, your assets at the moment, then, you know, five Xing those assets will give you a, a, a bigger return, right? So what users do, there's two types of um, users. They either lend crypto or lend digital assets or they borrow them to lever up farming positions. So, um, you know, yield farming, you know, users of ours will borrow those funds to ramp up their position, which is you know, fundamentally obviously leverage, which multiplies their, their yield. Um, like, of course, this, this isn't, isn't for free. There is a, um, a borrowing interest to be paid once the, the funds are, are back from a decentralized exchange, but, you know, those will trump, you know, being at one X, you know, but as you touched on as well, uh, Paul, is that, you know, the one thing that leverage yield farming does is, is, um, is it's a lot more capital efficient than other lending, typical lending protocols or major lending protocols in, in DeFi currently. Yeah. But I guess that also, if we take that principle, uh, the term leverage for some people is a you know, huge positive. It makes their capital go further. It creates more opportunities in the market. Uh, for other people, it sets some alarm bells ringing because it implies and it does bring in a level of risk into the market, um, yep. especially we're dealing with very, very volatile assets here. So things are moving around. Um, 
to gain leverage or posting collateral effectively. Um, but also, if we go back to the analogy of um, you know, traditional markets or a centralized model, you know, you'll have risk managers in place um, at, at prime brokerage and they'll be monitoring markets, monitoring positions. Um, there may be some level of automation there um, in terms of risk management, but there's also sometimes a human there. With DeFi, we're, you know, we're, we're coding all of this, uh, as, as we said. So let's move on to how you guys and the protocol itself manages these risks. How much risk are you bringing into the system? How are you mitigating those risks? Sure. So when we when we look at um, you know assets or let's say assets to bring into the platform, which often is tied to the same maybe small like newer smaller cap projects, or like with our counterparties like a, like a pancake swap, looking at like the the size and depth of a pool and the type of asset. So. Like we, we have a, a personally, you know, in Alpaca, we have a, a risk um, framework that we use for new assets coming on. So oftentimes they'll start at, let's say, two and a half X. And then, you know, as they grow over time, they could touch maybe four. And for like, you know, the, the stable coin side of things, you can even get to about six X. So like we, we don't want to offer leverage to our users with a, like a small cap um, crypto that can move very, very quickly. And that's outside of impermanent loss. Really what that is, is to make sure that it's not over levered for, for our users. So like, you know, as you mentioned, like anyone that's in a farming position, you're essentially your own risk manager. So you're looking at your position, your liquidation threshold, like stable coins are even at four, six X leverage, like it has to, uh, stable coin have to move about 17% to be knocked off peg. Mm-hmm. And then as you sort of go down the, the leverage, obviously that, that you know expands further down to about 60 percent and 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 further so um we have a product called oracle guard as well so we had that mini sort of flash crash the other day uh if there is um a potential of let's say manipulation or a quick drop in crypto prices we have a product called oracle guard that will basically freeze liquidations um to see if the market that was a kind of a, a quick wick and then the market comes back and it kind of saves your position which is I think unlike other, again, DeFi, where if, if that wick hits your liquidation point, it automatically gets liquidated and, and, and you're gone. So like most lending, like most lending platforms, like it's not in our interest for our, our users to be over leveraged mm-hmm. or um, have like flat, flash liquidation risk overall. Yeah, yeah. And we've seen that, I guess, you know, we, we, we've seen like a huge amount of innovation, but in essence, it's live experimentation um, with a lot of these products. And, and platforms and over the last 18 months you know these same similar questions were raised around something like make it down like a programmatic stable coin which you know has similar principles um, yeah. and you know that it had you know it hit some buffers with probably one of the most volatile periods in crypto um during uh, the covid spell and the the, the market sell-off last march um but you know things the, so the markets have been through some pretty volatile times and things have held up um, I guess one question when we come into liquidations, and this will bring us on to, I guess, uh, a bit more a deeper dive into your technology, um, is around choice of network. Now, we mentioned earlier that in theory, this is these are very dem- democratic systems anyone can play, um, but I'm sure many people are aware one of the challenges um, the industry is facing and different networks are facing are the cost of transactions, especially in volatile and high throughput and high demand periods. Yeah. Um, which has meant that, you know, we've got all these systems running. We might have, you know, um, Oracle Guard running. You might have your Oracle Guard running. 
liquidations might take place. The next challenge then is to get these transactions processed on the network. So yeah. you you guys decided to build on uh, Binance Smart Chain, which is an alternative smart contracting protocol. Um, it was launched really to hopefully overcome some some of the challenges that, that Ethereum has been facing. Um, yeah. Why did you make that design choice? Um, is this something you're glued to or are you going to be uh, network agnostic in the longer term? Yeah, so when we, so we launched, you know, full launch in March, which was, you know, around the time that, you know, Ethereum gas prices were, well, they still are high, but, you know, were very, very high, which for, for a lot of users makes, you know, DeFi almost unusable. When you're looking at transaction fees of hundreds of dollars or $50, so people just won't use the ecosystem unless you're kind of large players. So that was the main driving force behind um, being on, on BSC. Um, was gas fees initially. And you saw a lot of TVL during that period move from Ethereum to BSC. And then subsequently that TVL stuck around, but also, you know, Matic and, you know, side chains for, for ETH kind of popped up, which, you know, solve kind of some of those, those issues. So, you know, in terms of long-term, like my, my view personally, um, I, I know we're going to be cross-chain. Um, is that one other chain or two other chains we'll, we'll see. Um, by end of year, I think we'll be launched on, on, a, on a new chain, kind of the um, household name. Um, and then we gotta see how sort of the, the, the DeFi um, you know, universe sort of evolves, right? Because you start seeing pieces, you know, if you look at BSC, it was a, a fork or a copy of, of Cosmos. Um, so you look at their infrastructure um, and then all like the inter um, blockchain connectivity that's going on there with assets, which makes it really interesting as a, as a space. Um, but you know, ETH isn't going anywhere. Um, I, I hope with ETH2, they'll solve those, those problems or with like true layer twos, let's say like Arbitrum, for example, they think they just recently launched mainnet. And it's, it's a bit of, a, it's a difficult time to know where the TVL will stick. I think BSC is, is proven um, the technology works, the TVL is stuck. It's not obviously nearly as, as big as ETH, um, but for, for DeFi to grow and for that throughput to grow, we need to have you know, gas prices drop and, and throughput increase to make sure that it can, it can scale for, for new users. Mm -hmm. and, and compared to maybe again, if we look back at the earlier days of, of crypto in general, where you know, in principle, um, the market assumed that these networks needed to be launched in a fully decentralized fashion, but then we've seen kind of a drift towards kind of maybe sort of a walled garden approach initially to maintain some, you know, uh, I, I guess uh, the, the process of giving birth safely. Um, wh where are you guys at with that? What's your principle around that? Um, and, you know, how open is uh, the protocol present for other people to come and integrate and build on top of? Yeah, so it's um, I know the, the team's building an SDK to make to allow other teams to build on top of Alpaca a bit more efficiently. So in terms of like our user base, it's completely you know Web three permissionless DeFi. Um, there is no restrictions. I'm I'm keeping tabs on um, the like walled garden solutions just as a as a whole um, for the market because. You know, we're talking about Asia, it's a bit different. It's a, a lot more loose in terms of what they can and cannot do with regulators. But as you move West and talk about the United States, it's like everyone's scared you know, about what regulation is going to come. And like a part of those permission pools is just basically that everyone knows the counterparties and all the you know, pools of funds are clean. So like some, some custodians now are doing transaction monitoring coming back. 
which I think is good. But the question always is if you go out to DeFi and come back with, let's say, funds that have been analyzed that aren't, aren't clean, then what do you do with them? And how does that kind of impact the market? So, you know, with, I think, the true institutional players that need to know counterparties, um, those permission pools will happen. And there's, you know, major DEXs that are, are building permission pools. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll, we'll see how that takes off. Like from Alpaca's perspective, we need um, a, a good high TVL on, on a DEX to sort of, um, you know, run leverage yield farming strategies for, for our users. Um, but in, in the interim, yeah, we'll be like maybe building some, some uh, tools and whatnot for other, you know, protocols to build on top of us. Um, but you know, our like web three permissionless, you know, structure won't, won't change. Yeah. And while, while we're on that subject, then what do you think of, you know, in particular, the, the recent news out of, um, well, a couple of things out of the U S first week, a few weeks ago, we had the, um, you know, the introduction, um, of the, uh, new infrastructure bill, which seemed pretty onerous across the board, um, for anyone looking to build, especially, I guess the big question here is for development teams i mean at the end of the day they're they're, they're you know developing uh, publishing code um, for other people to use and they're not acting as principal then you know the idea is they're not sitting in the middle of anything so this opens up a whole new dynamic yeah us infrastructure bills seem to want to propose that you know developers become like breakers of some sort themselves which is you know i mean that's i'm sure it's going to be an ongoing debate um, how concerning is that for you know, for teams such as yours when you hear things like that? I mean, you know, obviously you, the U.S. Yes, it is obviously a major nation, so there's a major influencer. Um, yeah. Coders can go and sit anywhere and code. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? I mean, is it is it something that's just the industry needs to engage, or you just have to look outside the U.S.? I think the easy thing to do is what most people have done prior is just, you know, again, if you're centralized crypto, you don't take us clients. So that's the easiest thing to do. Um, you know, I was actually having this conversation, you know, a bit earlier on and like we all went through sort of like 2017, 2018 ICO, um, you know, kind of boom and bust. And, you know, the, if you look at like the regulators and the SEC and whatnot, you know, we're go- still going after actors, but, Oftentimes, if you've raised a, a good, a significant amount of money, um, there's a small kind of fine that goes with it, and you kind of go about your day, right? And but during those twenty, that 2017 period, it was like literally the sky was falling, like everyone's going to go to jail and, and all that kind of stuff. So, like it's way more mature now than it was then. So it's hard to say whether you know DeFi is seen as sort of a threat to the traditional banking, Wall Street sort of sector. Therefore, they're going to be a lot more protective, right? Or if this is just more kind of like stomping of feet, you know, throwing, you know, toys at the pram, so, so to say, um, it's, it, you won't know. But like, I remember seeing in 2018, there's a report or 2019, like of the, the investment into crypto and, you know, bar like, a, like US was like one of the main, you know, structured sort of investment in crypto. That was one of the major, it was the leading place, which you wouldn't have thought because of all the regulation and regulate regulatory uncertainty right so it's really hard to say what they do like the whole everyone's a broker but like you know in the u.s no broker dealer is ever going to touch crypto right so um, it could grind it to a halt the same as ats licenses um during kind of that time period prior where okay you get an ats license you can operate a, an exchange no well they're not going to give any any ats licenses so mm-hmm. It could be just sort of smoke and mirrors, or it could be something material. But I think oftentimes it just sort of consolidates into 
um, well-funded, well-structured companies that a lot of the business ends up kind of funneling towards because, you know, the, the burden of operating in the United States as a, as a smaller company that isn't, you know, well-funded just mm-hmm. is, is very, very difficult. So in the short term, it's easy just to say no, like no U.S. customers. But in terms of DeFi, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's no way you can stop that in yeah. a way. Right? Yeah. You can stop it, obviously, if you're bringing it back on shore, then it's a bit yeah. difficult. I mean, I think in certain areas, there's some kind of clear lines, which you'd probably be a bit silly to cross. I know with um, last week, we also saw the um, SEC um, approach Uniswap Labs. So again, directly approaching the development team. I think that case, well, obviously with the SEC's remit, um, and that case is relating to you know, whether uh, unregistered securities are being traded on the Uniswap network. Um, obviously that comes under the SEC's purview. Is that the responsibility of the developers at Uniswap to manage? Big question. Um, but, you know, I think that when, when we're looking at securities, I know we were just t- touching on that before we started this uh, interview, um, you know, there's quite clear lines there. So I think at least there's, you know, if you want to avoid that world, you know, just make sure yeah. you avoid it, I suppose. Um, so look, we'll see how, I mean, everyone's going to see how the, the regulatory conversation plays out over the coming months and uh, years, I fear. Um, but in the meantime, innovation will go on, um, and new things come into play. Um, you know, when I was researching you guys and we'll come onto your longer term roadmap and other partnerships and integrations you have planned, uh, I was intrigued to see, um, that one of the things on your roadmap is to be looking at the NFT market, obviously yep. another boom this year. Um, and people have been talking, I've been you know, uh, seeing, seeing these conversations come up more about utilizing NFTs as collateral and yield farming. How does that work? Um, and what plans do you have around the NFT market? Sure. So we, we've, um, like we as a company, we've issued a lot of NFTs already. Um, so there are NFTs for users who've done a certain action, right? So they've held um, a position across like a short-term yield farming program. Uh, we have a four-part series um, that people seem to they love. It's very entertaining. That's an NFT as well, but a three-minute sort of video or so. Um, you know, but going going forward, um, what we'll be doing is um, having NFTs with utility. So uh, we're looking at how we can integrate sort of NFT avatars into that initially. And I, I think the other side is sort of the play to earn. Um, so um, our head of strategy right now and our developers are sort of putting together a roadmap where we can have a, a game that's play to earn that is sort of um, a comfortable format. So you would in the game, you know, play, get NFTs and those NFTs can be used on the, the Alpaca platform to do things like, for example, boost yields, or I say maybe lower boring costs, things like that. So I think that that's the next step. Obviously we see what's happening with NFTs at the moment. It's a huge sort of craze, like the whole profile picture NFTs across ETH and now Solana and so on. And, you know, I, I think that will s- stick around, maybe not in its current kind of like hype cycle, right? But as people are more in the metaverse, it makes sense. You, you kind of are drawn towards, you know, let's say the, al- the al- alpaca NFTs or, you know, um, like board apes and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in the future, the short-term future, there's like the, the, the utility of NFTs are really interesting. So mm-hmm. yes, you're getting this NFT, yes, there's a secondary market, but also you're part of a community and also you can use that for, for benefits, assuming that again, if you have an Alpaca NFT, mm-hmm. you're probably using Alpaca platforms. So let's kind of, you know, converge those together. Yeah, yeah. And I think the other thing that will probably start coming out of that and is, you know, I guess 
hopefully is uh, what will start to square the circle with the regulatory conversations and the regulatory concerns is the future of uh, you know uh, decentralized or self-sovereign identity and reputation as well uh, and how that same technology might be used so you can carry your reputation across different platforms and build a reputation um, and so I think that's going to be an interesting uh, kind of development over the coming years. Yeah, I, I know a firm that is, is basically taking KYC technology and, and kind of are looking to do like a self-sovereign DeFi wallet so you can take that anywhere you go, right? Mm -hmm. And with like, you know, kind of zero knowledge proofs as well, where again, you can share data without sharing data. Um, I think in terms of like an, in like, an, like a macro view of, of data sharing, like I don't think companies want to store passwords and credit card information. And for them, it's a massive burden. So um, there are there are crypto or blockchain protocols that are looking to solve that too and you know yeah. it'll get there eventually no it is i mean this is like you know when you think about the regulators and those conversations it's like definitely a case of be careful not to throw the baby out with the bathwater because this technology really can improve current systems especially around like data sharing and then especially around you know, critical identity information which we pass around um, and actually, just on, on the topic, I thought it was interesting. I know that uh, Microsoft have, you know, that's been their pet blockchain project since 2015, I think, uh, developing identity systems on the Bitcoin blockchain, uh, realizing very early that these should be on like a robust public network. Um, <laughs> and I think their kind of their product uh, lead was uh, on Twitter last week. Not surprisingly, maybe, but, um, you know, uh, decrying the fact that some well-known names within the industry or within the traditional world are pushing back on that whole principle, guessing those are the big data silo guys of your Googles and your Amazons that, you know, basically pimp yeah. out data all day long and they have the most to lose. Um, but then you've got a company like Microsoft saying, well, yeah, that might be bad for your business, but um, socially these couldn't be better systems. So let's not try and kill them. Yeah. There's always an inflection point. Like even like, I, you know, you'd argue with DeFi at the moment that, DeFi innovation is driving traditional finance, digital innovation, or whatever you want to call it. If, like, yes, they're attracted to, to the yields in DeFi, but I don't think they can, they can't look past it anymore, which is why all the firms we speak to are either in DeFi or trying to get into DeFi in some hmm. capacity. And most of it, if you're talking the US side, it's mostly like, what's the regulation, right? But they, they can't ignore it anymore. And the same as the, the data you know, side of it is that, if there's all this sort of alternative activity happening in metaverse web three, mm. um, if, if a good chunk of their business or even a small portion goes towards that, where they're now missing out on data because no one wants to use it. Like Mina protocol comes to mind they're, That's what they're trying to do. Like the whole um, like zero knowledge proof stuff mm -hmm. um, for, for data web two, web three. And if something like that kind of wedges themselves in that they, they will have to say, okay, well we have to change our model from selling your data to, yeah. trying to work with you yeah yeah well you, you saw the same thing in the 90s when like voip came along and you know companies like skype emerged um it was you know you had all the uh, traditional telcos coming out saying hey we're heavily regulated and you know we charge money for people to speak to each other how dare these guys come along and just allow people to speak to each other for free um you get to a point as you said speaking about inflection points it becomes very politically very difficult for anyone to turn around and say uh, you, you can't have free phone calls, even though, yeah. you know, when the world is using them and the only people complaining are the people whose business model is like, you know, redundant business model is suffering. So hopefully that's how this will pan out. So it's not so you're going to have this pushback, but from very large firms with 
uh, you know, powerful lobbies in political ears. So that's always going to be the challenge. Yeah, but you know, I think the, the innovative companies, like in this case, it sounds like Microsoft is, they're working on it because they know eventually it's going to happen. So there's going to be pushback. But again, hmm. if, that, if that wedge is wedged in, like, like DeFi, right? Yeah. That wedge is in there. People are going, I don't need a bank account. Hmm. I can get yield safely. Hmm. And you know, I have, let's say, an off-ramp that I trust where I need to pay my bills and whatnot. I can off ramp in and I'm keep, going to keep everything in, in crypto with like, you know, with negative interest rates or you know, zero. Yeah. That's why you know, DeFi has taken off. And that's why other, you know, larger firms are looking at this saying, okay, well, we can fundamentally get with, in case of Alpaca, we don't have to do the yield farming, understand the mechanics of that. We can lend USDT, BUSD and be like eight to 12% a year. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which for, for a lot of firms, like that's their target. So you mean like, I don't have to, you know, kind of sweat, sweat this money, yeah. I can literally park it somewhere at safe, get yeah. a yield and hit my targets. Yeah, it's only 100x what you can get on your dollars in your bank account. At the moment. Yeah. Why would anyone want that? I don't know. Exactly. Um, <laughs> uh, look, we're, we're short on time. So let's just move on to, um, you know, what you guys have got coming up next. What's the kind of the most critical things on your roadmap? What are you most excited about? Um, and you know, none of this, none of none of these new uh, innovations can operate in isolation, and we're all stronger together. Um, what sort of partnerships and integrations do you have planned? Sure. So um, on the on the roadmap, our main thing is is cross chain the the NFT game. I said those are kind of the, the two major ones. Like the the cross chain is something that we've been looking at for a while. We know we have to to sort of. Um, let's say move away from BSC, just sort of, we, we can do other things on their chains and it garners more TVL for the protocol as well. Um, so where we go, still kind of up for debate, but I think by end of year, we're, we're there, we're, we're launching. Um, and NFT game, again, roadmap. Um, we, we do a lot of um, like different partnerships. We, we have a thing called grazing range, which is sort of like short, normally shorter term sort of um, fixed yield farming opportunities with different protocols, right? Um, we, have, we have one with a firm called Scientix, uh, which is very similar to Alchemix, and that's more of a long-term. So people, are, Al Alchemix is basically uh, a loan that repays itself more or less, and, and Scientix is doing the same thing on BSC. So like we, we have a lot of different, um, you know, partners like that. Um, on the institutional side of things, it's um, again, forming products around like more like strategic vaults um, or auto compounding vaults, which allows um, institutions that don't want the operational risk of DeFi that can, you know, get the yield, but basically do like a one click dummy button. So single asset in, we run the strategy behind the scenes, you get a single asset, you know, principal plus yield back. So um, it's forming that um, institutional side, but you know, for the the company protocol currently, I think cross chain, cross chain is the big one. Mm -hmm. Cool, all exciting stuff. Um, Pete, it's been really great to have you on and uh, discuss all these things. It's been a very enjoyable conversation. Yeah, um, thanks, with it, wishing you guys and the team uh, every success with the uh, these future rollouts, and uh, we'll get you back on another time to hear sure. your progress. I look forward to it. I think for the the, the opportunity, Paul. Cheers, Pete. All right, take care.